Good morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter. Our time together this morning will be greatly helped by you following along in a copy of God's Word. If you did not bring a Bible with you, we should have some underneath the seat in front of you or near you. We'd love for you to be able to reach under there and read along with us. And if you don't have a copy of Scripture that you can call your own, we'd love for you to take that home so that you can read and study the Bible and learn more about Jesus Christ. The book of 1 Peter is on page 1014. If you're not very familiar with the Bible, large numbers are chapter numbers, small numbers are verse numbers. We're going to begin reading today in 1 Peter chapter 1, even though our text is chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We're going to begin reading chapter 1, verse 22. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Lord, we ask now that what we are not, that you would make us as we study your word together. And we pray, Father, that you would write these eternal truths on our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would help us to grow in holiness. We ask, Father, that you would do the good work of redeeming grace. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Spiritual growth reveals salvation, so lay aside all that quenches love. Spiritual growth reveals salvation, so lay aside all that quenches love. Last time, we saw as Peter shifted from a focus on the individual to a focus on the community, he urged these persecuted Christians to love one another because the gospel, which actually has the power to save us, is also the ground of our mutual love for one another. We see this in the first of the three images he uses to focus on the community here in the Bible. If you're just looking at your Bible right now and kind of subject headings you might have, there's a bad break. There's a break between 122 and, uh, through 125 in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But what we should see there is that in 122, all the way down to chapter 2, verse 3, he's discussing the family. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, he starts to speak about the people of God as a temple. And then in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, he speaks of them as the people of God. Even though verses 
1 through 22 through 2, 3 are about the first of those images, the family. We've broken it into two sermons so that we can see how love as God's people and growth as God's people go together. Last time, Peter gave us the reasons we are to love one another, as well as the ways we're to love one another. In fact, it was startling probably for many of us because when we come to this text, we're not primarily thinking of Peter exhorting us to love. We're thinking that he's giving us Bible doctrine. And so we were expecting a sermon on the Bible. But now in chapter two, verses one through three, as he links all of this together, we see how to cultivate a love for one another. But to understand his teaching and how this passage fits with our previous passage, we're going to begin where Peter ended in verse three and work our way back up the passage. Notice first, savoring salvation. Look in 1 Peter chapter two, verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed is not Peter's way of calling into question whether or not we have actually tasted that the Lord is good. Peter assumes that our savoring of the sweetness of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ will serve as the motivation of our chapter one, verse 22, obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love as we, chapter two, verse two, grow up into salvation or increase in maturity together. This desire to grow springs from the experience of the Lord's kindness. It's an experience that leaves the believer desiring more, which immediately forces us to ask, have you experienced the Lord's kindness? Let me ask you, do you desire to grow in obedience to the truth? How would you know if you desire to grow in obedience to the truth? Can God's word command you to do what you do not necessarily prefer to do? Show hospitality, forgive someone else of their sins, restrain desire in your life. Control your words. Share the truth about Jesus Christ with someone who isn't a Christian. Join a church. Pray for your enemies. Obey your parents. Generously invest your money in the church. Serve your wife. Submit to your husband. Be content in your singleness. Give thanks in all circumstances in your life. Those who pursue God eagerly, Peter tells us, have tasted the sweetness of salvation and they long to grow spiritually because they have experienced his kindness, his salvation, not always in getting what they want. In fact, that's the exact opposite of what is taking place in these believers' lives. Things are not happening the way that they want them to. They're not working out the way that they had planned for them to, but they recognize that what is most important is not them getting what they want, but they have been recipients of what they do not deserve deliverance, which is why the words Peter quotes from here come from Psalm 34, a psalm that is very important to Peter. You can see it in chapter three, but I'm going to ask you to go ahead and flip to Psalm 34. And while you're flipping there, you can just make a note and hear how Peter quotes this psalm once again in chapter three, verses 10 through 12. Peter says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on all the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, I know this is a hard thing to do in a sermon, but I need you to keep that quote from Psalm 34 in the back of your mind 
as we continue to work backwards up the passage. This psalm teaches us that when the righteous are afflicted in suffering, they can be confident that God will deliver them from all of their troubles. And Peter expected when writing this letter and people would hear it read in the presence of all, that there would be comfort that they receive and encouragement that they receive from the message of this psalm because this psalm calls on its readers to hope in God in the midst of their troubles, which happens to be one of the central three themes driving throughout all of 1 Peter. So we see, if you've already turned there now to Psalm 34, right there at the beginning of the psalm and what the church has called the superscript. It is the words right before verse one in the psalm which say this. They're probably italicized in your Bible. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. While being treated unjustly by an envious king, David was able to say, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. While fleeing for his life from the man he had saved, David is able to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. While leaving all that he loved behind and walking away from everything that he held dear and fleeing what he called normal in home, David was able to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Peter reminds these exiled Christians of David's experience as a way to encourage them to consider God's acts of faithfulness in the past toward persecuted people, toward exiled people, toward people who are suffering unjustly, toward people who were suffering falsely, toward people who were leaving what they held to be dear and familiar as a way to encourage them to not despair in the present because God is always faithful to deliver his people. Just like he delivered David, he will deliver them. When David didn't see him coming and they're not able to see it coming, There's this promise that if you look back and see how God has dealt with his people, you can be comforted even when you can't see it and certainly when you can't feel it. It is a means for them to be reminded of God's faithfulness as a way to encourage them toward the earnest love that he's been exhorting them to in the passage. Brothers and sisters, we can learn to lay aside all of the things that quench love in the context of the local church and in our relationships with one another by reminding ourselves of God's acts of faithfulness to his people in the past. One of the best reasons to read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is not only to just grow in familiarity with the Bible, which is a great thing, but is to be able to see how God has faithfully treated his people across the ages as a reminder to encourage us of how he is faithful to his people and he will be faithful to us in the present. That's why Peter quoted the psalm. And that's why this quote from the psalm is encouragement to us 
Because the reality is, is that some of us are probably here today thinking, how can I say, taste and see that the Lord is good when it seems like all is a dumpster fire around me? And how can I say God will bless the person who takes refuge in him when I've trusted in Christ and I've believed in Christ and I'm a membership of this church and it doesn't seem that there's any refuge or comfort. In fact, it seems that the more faithful I walk with the Lord, the harder my life gets and the more difficulties I face and the more things I have to overcome. Your experience, my experience, is just like the experience of the people here in First Peter. And Peter knew that they, like us, would be tempted in those moments to think, God's not good. God's not with me. God's not faithful. So Peter quoted the scripture and pointed back as a way to remind them, look how God dealt with his servant. He will deal with his servants the same way today. And when we do that, we are actually able to savor salvation. The salvation that Peter has been talking about is meant to be an encouragement to us. Blessed be this God. Why? Because he has delivered us and he has not treated us as our sins deserve. And even though we experience hardship in the present, we are confident, we are certain, we are sure it is more certain than gravity that he will safely lead us home. Brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, savor the great salvation that has come to you in Christ And though you might not experience all the blessings of that salvation now, rest assured, a day is coming when you will experience all of them to the full and completely. But if you're not a Christian here today, or perhaps, and it's very possible that you're somebody who is here today who thinks themselves to be a Christian but isn't, this church proclaims to you this salvation of a God who saves people who do not deserve to be saved, of a God who delivers people who do not deserve to be delivered, of a God who inserted himself into human history to come and to reach down and pull people out of the fire by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the life that we are incapable of living and to die the death that all of us deserve to die so that if we would trust in his death, and believe in his gospel of the kingdom, that we might be born again to everlasting life. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, we invite you to trust in Jesus Christ, to believe in Christ. And if you think that you're a believer here today, but you're able, unable to track with the passage of putting off sin, then you need to consider afresh, do I really believe what I profess to believe Because that is exactly what Peter is doing for these people now, putting a rock in their shoe to consider, have you actually trusted the gospel if you are not living consistently with the gospel? If you'd like to learn more about the gospel, what it means to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, how to trust in Jesus Christ, we would love to talk to you. Tim would love to talk to you. He's the person presiding today. I'll be at the tunnel after the service. Frankly, many of the members here would love to open the Bible with you. Come and find one of us. And we would love to open the scripture with you and to tell you more about trusting Jesus Christ. Do that today. Savoring salvation. 
He's encouraging the believers to do that. Taste and see, blessed is the person who is trusted in this God. Notice second, babies and brothers. Look at verse two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. In every great family, not in status or prestige, but in size, in every great family, at most of the time, there are always two things, babies and brothers. There are babies and those who are older siblings at all times. We see this in chapter two, verse two, like newborn infants. And we see this in chapter one, verse 22, brothers loving one another in a brotherly way. There are always both, chapter one, verse 22, loving and chapter two, verse two, craving, sitting simultaneously together. So this evidence is not only of new birth, babies, but also of maturing faith, brothers earnestly desiring to love one another. And the source of both of these, new life, new birth, and maturing faith in Christ is the word of God. We see it in the text. Here's new birth, chapter one, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another, earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, new birth, new life, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Chapter one, verses 22 through 25 are about new birth, new life, seen in this obedience to the truth and now maturing faith in chapter two, verses one through three. But you see it specifically in verse two. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Evidence of new life from the Father through the word is that believers continue to long for and yearn for and pine for and hunger for the word of God. And as a result, they become more mature in the faith. They literally grow up into faith. Spiritual growth reveals salvation. A salvation that comes to us through the word of God, which is why Peter uses milk as a metaphor in these verses. Now, anybody who's familiar with their Bible immediately stumbles over this because there are other places in the Bible that use milk almost as if it's a bad thing, as if we're immature in the faith. That's not how Peter's using it here. Milk is needed when there is new life. One of the things that you see in the nursing mom's room is milk. One of the things you see in the homes of stay-at-home moms here or working moms here is milk. Whether that's milk that they're pumping for their baby, whether that's something that they're buying from the store for their baby, there's something that they're having there to nourish their baby. It's evidence of new life that is living in the home. Peter is wanting us to see that milk is evidence of new life and the word of God causes new birth and ever maturing faith in those who have new life. And the two adjectives Peter uses to describe it, pure and spiritual, help us understand something about this word. It is pure in contrast to the sins found in verse one. And the term refers to something that is uncontaminated because contaminated milk makes people sick. But this milk does not make people sick. It is life-giving and life-nurturing. But it is also spiritual, or some of your Bibles say rational, reminding us that the word by which God causes us to be born again is logical and spiritual growth is not primarily mystical 
It is rational. It is rational in the sense that we can understand it. It is rational that it informs our faith. It is rational in how it sustains our faith. The word by which we are born again is a word that is rational and logical, and it endures forever. Peter tells us to, verse 2, long for it. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter commands us to desire and to feel longings that we do not feel and to feel desires that we do not have so that both babies and brothers, verse 2, can grow up into salvation. Peter's words are not simply for new Christians. They apply to all Christians throughout all time because the milk of God's word is the very substance of life that all Christians need to grow up into salvation. It is the source of how we change. So the question for us is, why do we so often look for methods to change outside of God's word? We look for ways to mature in the faith without looking to God's word and ways to be more faithful to the church or to Christ without looking to God's word or ways to exhort ourselves towards greater prominence in the context of the church by aspiring to the office of elder and deacon and deaconess without looking to what God's word says, uh, how we should aspire to those offices. Peter calls us to desire God's word and to see it not only as the source of our salvation, but the very thing that changes us. Savoring salvation, babies and brothers. Notice third, eliminating sin. Look in verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy. In fact, it doesn't say all hypocrisy, and I'll come back to that. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. What needs to be discarded for love to grow? That's the question Peter's trying to answer here now. The so connects the passages. What needs to be discarded so that love can grow among the community of faith? Peter tells us and highlights that one of the ways that we can grow is by desiring the milk of God's word. And another way that we can grow is by destroying sin in our life, eliminating sin. But Peter does not mention sin generically. He mentions it specifically. He says things specifically that he thinks are going to frustrate the church. Sins of speech, sins of deceit, sins of discontent, and he lists them all here. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, which does not imply that some hypocrisy and some envy are okay, and all slander. Peter wants us to see that these sins, sins of speech, sins of deceit, sins of discontent, are not only something that ruin our own lives, but they are the very type of sins that disrupt the fellowship of the church and they prevent love from growing among the people of God. Sins of malice, a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds. Sins of deceit, a desire to gain some type of advantage or preserve some type of image or be able to keep some type of position by deceiving others and keeping them at bay. Hypocrisy, a desire to not be known for who we truly are. Envy, a desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another with such a resentment that the other has it and we feel that it should be ours. Sins of slander, the desire for revenge with words and using our words 
to put other people in a bad light because if we can put them in a bad light, we can keep ourselves in a good light. Peter's writing to these people, knowing that the very pain that they're experiencing in this life is going to cause them to focus on themselves and to disregard the very people who are around them, just like it does for all of us. And so he tells them that the way to grow and the way to foster love in the context of the church and the way to be a genuine, faithful community is to eliminate sin. Not just sins broadly in a blanket statement so that we can hide behind it, but sins specifically that would disrupt the congregation's ability to not only proclaim the gospel with speech, but to live with one another in a faithful way, hypocrisy and malice and deceit, but sins that also cause us to see the very people around us as enemies, envy. All of the things that would erode the foundation of community. Not much has changed in almost 2,000 years, has it? The very things plaguing the church of the first century are the very things plaguing the church of the 21st century. We use our words to proclaim the gospel and we deceive and slander. We give thanks to God, but we envy what we do not have. And so we find ourselves discontent. We thank God for community. We find ourselves disrupting the fellowship that is around us and all of the people who we've sworn to protect. Members of this church, the very covenant that you have signed has given you the obligation to not only grow in holiness personally, but to be a catalyst for the growth of holiness in the lives of other people here. Does your speech, do your actions, and your words, the way that you live where all can see it and the way that you live when others can't see it, Foster the very love that we have prayed for here in the church. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander are things that we must put away. They are things that we must destroy. And Peter does not want us to be deceived. It is impossible for love to grow in that type of soil. This is the other side of longing for the spiritual milk. When you long for the milk the right way, and you see God's word for what it says, you will see these sins for what they are, and you will put them off out of your life. If you want to experience a desire for God's word, if you want your desire for God to grow, if you actually want to taste the goodness and blessing of God and to know the kindness and forgiveness of God, then you must realize that the only way for you to genuinely do that is to find satisfaction in God to such an extent that you're able to put off the types of sin that not only ruin your life personally, but the lives of people around you because sin never happens in a vacuum. One of the most dangerous things about reading the English Bible, this is not a plug to read Greek, but I would encourage you to do so if you're ever able to, is that we fail to see that all of these exhortations are not to the you singular but to the y'all plural. He's speaking to everybody, trying to encourage them to realize that their sin affects everybody around them, whether they are conscious of it or not. Peter's concern is that they would throw this off. But if they resist it and they learn to lay it aside, they will show that they are actually saved by their spiritual growth 
and they will learn to lay aside everything that quenches love. But hear Peter's point. Do not think that they can flourish in a heart that is filled with malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and slander. Fight against them. Brothers and sisters, God has given you the church so that you could fight against sin. Confessing sin is scary. It's scary for me as your pastor when I have to confess sin to the other elders. It's scary for you because what ends up happening is that in those moments we have to become vulnerable and tell people the truth. But God has given us the church because you are not capable of living the Christian life on your own. He has promised us that we will always be met with forgiveness. Our very structure of our service reminds us that each week we confess our sins, God forgives us. But he gives us the church so that we do not have to live this life together so that other people can help us to put sin to death. The problem for some of us is that we're trying to do it all alone. And we think that we can manage it by ourselves. And we have deceived ourselves time and again thinking, I can do it. This time was the last time, only to find that you can't do it. And it wasn't the last time. Peter is exhorting these believers to see that as they feast on the life-giving word of God and nourish their souls, they will be able to put these sins to death. Savoring salvation, babies and brothers, eliminating sin, notice fourth as we continue our way back up, grow and mature. We see it though in the middle of verse two and then we'll connect up. That by it you all may grow up into salvation. Peter tells us love cannot grow in the soil of sin. And the scripture teaches us that the churches that tolerate sins like this are less like heaven and more like the fellowship of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, the gospel calls us to maturity together. But what does it mean for us to actually grow up into salvation? Here's where the two texts come together. I'm gonna begin reading in verse 22 again, going down now. Having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The result of having that word, that seed, is that we will grow in respect to salvation together. Literally, we will grow up into salvation or we will show that growth is necessary for salvation. Salvation is reached by growth. God gives the growth through the preached word and as the word is continued to be preached and that word is read, we will continue to grow. Do not fall to the lie that says you cannot grow. Peter says that you can change by growing in familiarity with God's word and learning how to put sin to death by means of it. We look everywhere for something to put sin to death in our lives, except God's word. Throw away all ideas that say that we can do this without God's word. Brothers and sisters, because of this gospel, there is hope for a loving church. We are so encouraged to be your pastors. There are so many things to celebrate, but we are not deceived and neither should you be. 
as if this is a sinless church. We need one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ together. Peter tells us that essential to a life of holiness is the avoidance of these attitudes, that each of them is contrary to sincere brotherly love. We must put them away and in their place cultivate a longing for pure spiritual milk. In his book, Endure, Alex Hutchinson says this, all else being equal, the gold medal goes to whoever is willing to suffer a bit more than everyone else. The Olympics are a fine sport, and by and large, they are an individual sport. It's excellent to see people do amazing things with their body after training. But what the Olympics can deceive us into thinking is that our lives are a lot like the Olympics, that if we individually can just get our act together, that we will achieve what we want to be by ourselves. The church is not an individual sport. It is a team sport. Together, we are putting sin to death, and together, we are growing up into salvation together. Brothers and sisters, I call you fresh to consider. Are you relying on your brothers and sisters here to help you? If you're not a member of a church, we invite you to join our church, not simply so that we might have more members. We long for God to add to our fellowship but so that we might be more well-rounded as a congregation as God sends people into our fellowship so that we might be able to help one another grow because the reality is, is that we all need the gospel and each other so that we might grow together. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of persecution, we see for these believers that the essential life of the church boils down to a few very simple things, growth and holiness, giving ourselves to your word, putting sin off. Father, we thank you that those things have not changed in 2,000 years, that you still desire us to grow in holiness, to grow in love and fellowship with one another, to put sin to death in our lives so that there will be edification taking place among the body of Christ and so that our evangelism might be effective. God, we ask that you would help us. And Father, I pray for all who are here today. Lord, I pray that you would help them, all of us, see that the beauty of the gospel is not that you just save individual sinners, but that you make us a family and mold us into a people for your own possession. We pray that you would do that in our midst as we give ourselves to your word, that this week we would have a greater desire for your word, And we ask all of it in Jesus' name, amen.